if you could and you would remain standing for the reading of the word as you take your scriptures, bring it to your hands and let us turn now to the gospel of Matthew chapter 19. And as you find that and as they exit and he plays softly, I want to acknowledge that today I will begin a series of lessons. If you'll back it up one slide, please, to talk to you about this thought. I never thought I'd see today. And I want to bring these lessons to you because of this truth. I never thought I'd see today. I am going to deal with the subject of marriage and family today as the first of these series of lessons. And I want to come from the posture of a godly, God-fearing mother. Many of us, my mother is with the Lord. Perhaps yours is alive. Thank God for her. Present or past. But many of us can testify that we wouldn't be the person we are today spiritually. Spiritually. Among other things. If it wasn't for a mother who not only told us, but they modeled it. And if you've been blessed with a godly mother, you know, through the course of your life, she has defended you. She has protected you. She has guarded you. She has warned you. Can I get an amen? amen. And so I'm going to take the posture of a godly mother this morning and bring you this word. Because I want to guard you. I want to warn you. I want to defend you. I want to protect you. But better than I, Jesus does. And so I bring your attention to Matthew 19 and verse 4, please. And he, meaning Jesus, answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined together, let not man separate. I'm going to give you a little heads up for the time we have together, and this is it. I want to talk to you today. But it may evolve into a speech. And it may even erupt into a preach. But I want to talk to you today. I'm going to try to control my Pentecostalism. Only if it distracts. But please hear me. Please listen to me. I've never brought a more right now important word to this pulpit than what I'm going to bring to you on this Mother's Day. I know the audience. I've been before God. Yes, on my face praying. And I need for Him to be the one who empowers and transforms. Anybody here this morning say, I can use a little bit more God in my life? Yeah. Point your hand in this direction. Offer a prayer for me. Come on, let's pray for each other. I mean, I mean, really do pray. Don't just, don't just uh, humor me. Pray for me. I thank you, Jesus. Today is the day. I know, Lord, that mothers will be dined and celebrated. They should be. I know some of that will happen for, and I pray it'll happen for every mom in this service. In some way, today be blessed. 
God, as, as eternal as we know that mom's love to be, we know that mom gets her love from the Father, the Heavenly Father. Dads and sons and daughters get their love from what we model as parents. But we all get our love from God. It is the love of God that brings us to the Word of God and brings us into the boundaries of protection and safety that God has for us. Amen, church? It is the love of God, Lord, that brings us to the place where, where the Lord has to say to us, This is my way. Walk in it. And so I pray for all of us this morning that we would listen to your way and your word. And I pray for unction and anointing and impartation for all of us for transformation in Jesus' name. Amen. And thank you for being seated in this presence. Never thought I'd see today. There's some positive examples that I won't tarry, but just to touch on. I really never thought I'd see today in a, in a very good way that uh, technology would be so advanced in my lifetime. My concept of a, a phone in the car, mobile phone is what they used to call them, right? Uh, was so limited to my concept of a phone in the home until I thought, how is that ever going to be possible that they get so many long cords, everybody could have a phone in their car, and, you know, because I figured you had to plug up somewhere. The technology is amazing, cell phones, isn't it? That I could speak into my phone, it translated into words printed, and then sends it via uh, digital wireless a satellite, some satellite orbiting uh, hundreds, maybe thousands, multiple miles, thousands perhaps, above the earth. Communication. Cell phones, of which I'm sure yours is off. Never thought I'd see today that medical science would make such advances until they could operate between the beat of a heart in some cases. Medical science, I think it's marvelous, could go into the womb of a mother whose child may be in peril before being born and operate on that child, that little baby, in its developmental stage to save a life. I think it's remarkable. Never thought I'd see today. Never thought I'd see today where transportation would be so... Wow, so diverse and so advanced by land, by sea and air. There's more. But a counterpart of that is, while there are positive things I thought I never would see today for, there are some very negative things that I never thought I'd see today about. I never thought I'd see today where the whole world would be afraid because of terrorism. Where we'd have to do what we do at airports, harbors, ball games, even church. To protect ourselves. Never thought I'd see today. Never thought I'd see today where Christianity would come under attack as it has come under attack here in these United States of America. Been in America almost 44 years. Never thought I'd see today. Never thought I'd see today where marriage and family in America would face the possibility of becoming obsolete. And so I come on this first lesson of this series of lessons on I Never Thought I'd See Today to ask the question, why is marriage becoming obsolete in America? Before I give you some considerations that are very real before us and not imaginary, let me give you a definition for marriage. It comes out of this text that we read, worded in a way that confirms the text. It's a little lengthy, but you look, I'll read. Marriage. One man, one woman, united spiritually, emotionally, physically, publicly, and legally, in a lifetime bond of loyal love for procreation, channeling sexual and emotional energy, 
and serving as a civilizing and stabilizing factor in society. Now, this is the first time you saw it, and I've been pondering it for a while, so it's only fair that you need to have a moment to absorb it again. Not because I think you're slow learners, but because I think that repetition helps us to learn. Look at the screen. Marriage. One man, one woman, united spiritually, emotionally, physically, publicly, and legally in a lifetime bond of loyal love for procreation, channeling sexual and emotional energy, and serving as a civilizing and stabilizing factor in society. That's marriage according to the Bible. There are four things I want to tell you that I see as very prominent as a source for making marriage obsolete in America. The first of which is cohabitation without marriage. Cohabitation is couples living together without choosing to get married. These couples are sometimes referred to as friends without benefit. They want the benefits of marriage without tying themselves down to a lifetime commitment or risking the hassle of a divorce. So they just cohabit. Sharon Jason, a USA Today reporter who frequently writes about cultural trends, made this observation in one of her articles. I quote, She said, living together has become so mainstream that growing numbers of Americans view it as an alternative to marriage. Miss Jason goes on to quote the author of a recent book on cohabitation. The author who says, and I quote again, cohabitation is what's happening in the world of dating and it's not necessarily a path to anywhere. She goes on to say, in other words, cohabitation couples do not necessarily see living together as a marriage test to see whether they want to take the next step to tie the knot. They accept the arrangement on its own terms simply for the momentary benefit it gives without concerns for long-term goals or commitments. End of quote. Cohabitation without marriage has become so common that in the last 30 years or so, society's acceptance of it has made a complete turnaround. A 1969 Gallup poll showed that 66% of Americans believed premarital sex was wrong. At that time, it was called shacking up. The church would call it living in sin. By 2009, three years ago, the percentage had almost reversed. I know that because of a CBS, New York Times poll that indicated in 2009 that 60% of the population believed that premarital sex was not wrong. I need to remind you that while society has changed its mind on this practice, the Word of God has not. The Bible and God, which is God's book, calls it sin. It is either fornication or adultery, of which the Bible calls sin. 
from which repentance is necessary. It doesn't matter to God whether you have an arrangement for a season. It is sin. It doesn't matter to God that you say, well, it's economically feasible for us to have a dwelling place where we could share the utilities and the rent until later on. So it's convenient. What you and I in some cases call convenient, God calls sin. But we are just trying to see if we are compatible waiting to get married. So therefore we are testing it out. God calls it sin. I might, I might say this to you. Before Kate and William, Prince William and Miss Kate of the royal family in England got married, they cohabitated for eight months. What is very harmful about that is that you need to understand that they were very high visibility. You need to understand, according to the English monarchy... That when he ascends to the throne of his mother, he will not only become the head of state for England, he will become the head of the church, which is the Anglican church. You need to understand that the Queen of England and her son Charles, whose son William is, all know about the fact that they are a part of the church and they will, because she is the head of the church, but knowingly and willfully allowing them to co- I'm glad they got married. You understand? They should have if they love each other. But let me say, I understand the Hollywood types live together and cohabitate. I understand athletes who make a, make a lot of money cohabitate. I understand talk show hosts cohabitate. I understand even royalty has cohabitated. But I also understand that just because we say to ourselves, oh, in order to justify ourselves, our society says something like this. The only standard for our behavior, society says, is what seems right for you at the moment. You got to do what's right for you at the moment. I know there's a common viewpoint in America that seems to say this. Why should I be bound by societal restrictions or ancient outdated traditions? I want to rule my own life. I know that we have a pop culture and many people of high visibility live and perform that way. But the Bible says in the book of Proverbs that there is a way that seems right to man. But the end thereof is the way of death. And I'm saying to you that one of the most damaging things to the survival of the family, as the Bible describes family, is for folks to live in cohabitation without the blessing of God. If you are living such this morning and you love that person, get married. Get a second or third job but save your soul and pay the bills. If you do not love them and you have an arrangement, you are living in sin. And I'm not trying to be unkind. And I'm guarding my body language as well as my verbal language to tell you that I didn't die on the cross for you. Jesus did. Only he can save you. The Queen of England didn't die for you. And Kate and William, thank God they're married. I bless them now that they are. Follow their example and do what is right. There is a second front from which attack has come to the marriage and family for which all of us. See, see, listen to me. Don't you sit there this morning. I don't be unkind to you and think that I'm the only one responsible as your shepherd to defend the family and the marriage. 
Did, did you hear what I said? I, the, the Bible says my people perish for a lack of knowledge. I'm not the only one that's supposed to. If you are blood bought, born again child of God, I don't care if you're Baptist, Church of God, Lutheran. I don't care if you're Methodist. If you say you are born again and you believe this to be the word of God and you live because Jesus Christ is your Savior, then you and I both need to understand that we will be called into account for knowing the truth and not defending it. When God instituted marriage, His requirement was that the bond between a male and female be one of a lifetime of permanence. It is Jesus who said in our text, Matthew 19 and 6, So then there are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined together, let no man separate. I need to tell you, that because of the high importance of the bond of marriage and the permanence of marriage, most marriage ceremonies are formally solemnized before witnesses. Most marriage ceremonies include a vow of permanent commitment. I will today, this evening, perform a wedding ceremony. I don't usually do this on a Sunday, and especially on Mother's Day. But I have a lifelong friend who is seeking for the restoration and reuniting of his marriage that has suffered and encountered a divorce. And this evening, when I do the vows, it will include these words. Therefore, what God has joined together... Let not man separate. In, in, in this context of appreciating that God meant for marriage to be permanent, I have used the passage in Ruth, chapter 1, verses 17 and 18, I think. Do you remember that account of Scripture when Naomi, the mother-in-law of Ruth, told Ruth, I'm a woman of a bitter spirit. My husband has died. My sons have died. Ruth was Naomi's daughter-in-law and she said, the son that I gave you in marriage has died. And now, Ruth, I'm going back to my homeland and my people. You stay here in Moab. You have biblical permission and godly permission to marry again. Find you love. Find the right person. But I'm an old woman. I cannot have a child for you to wait to, for that child to grow for them to become your husband. So therefore, I release you, Ruth. And, and, and you know what the, what the Bible says Ruth says to her? It's part of many marriage vows. Whether thou goest, I will go. Whether thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God shall be my God. She even went on to say, where you die, I'll die. And I want to tell you, I appreciate those kind of commitments, because in the marriage ceremonies that I do, often we say things like this, for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health, until death separate us. That was God's plan, and he hasn't changed his mind. Solomon tells us how importantly taking, oh, how important making vows to God and to each other is. In Ecclesiastes chapter 5, Solomon says this about vows. Verse 2, do not be rash with your mouth. And let your heart utter anything hastily before God. When you make a vow to God, do not delay to pay it. 
Better not to vow than have to vow and not pay. Do not let your mouth cause your flesh to sin. Nor say before the messenger of God that it was an error. Jesus said about vows and commitments. Matthew 5 and 37. But let your yes be yes and your no be no. In other words, Jesus said, say what you mean and mean what you say or don't say it at all. Every day in America, thousands of people ignore these scriptures and take back the vows, the marriage vows they spoke before God, their spouses and friends. They're saying something like this when they take it back. It was a mistake. I thought I loved him or her, but I was wrong. They say something like this. I I know I said I do, but now I don't. Many people end their marriage with regret, but many people do not. Far too many people decide to break their marriage vows on the basis of convenience or preference. That has not been God's plans. Please hear me. There are just some things in life I got to make happen. You got to make happen. You may not like where you're working, but until you find a better job, you got to make yourself get up and go. You may not like your boss or your supervisor, but until you become your own boss or you become the supervisor, you're going to have to suck it up. You make it happen. You may not agree with your wife on something or your husband or, 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 or your children, but if they know better and we have a co, co, uh, cohesion or unity in our relationship, there's sometimes I just got to make myself be quiet or be selective about how I respond. The only reason you got married was for your emotional feeling of love. You were headed for a brick wall real fast. <laughs> I don't know what the rest of the words of the song is, but somebody sang a song. Tina Turner, what love got to do with it? Yeah. We don't live by our feelings only. We live by the knowledge that, that marriage can be rocky. But we got to seek God, His will first. You see, I need to hasten to tell you that when marriages end up in divorce, they're a tremendous price to be paid. When marriages end up in divorce, they're the effects that have to do with things that regard economically, emotionally, spiritually, and societally for adults and children. You, you need to understand that this silly idea of the effect of marriage Divorce, I should say, on children being that they're young and they'll get over it is a very cheap and unintelligent justification for not attending to this important factor of what would happen in a divorce with the children. My wife is an elementary, public school elementary principal over 400 students. If my wife had the time as the principal of the school to give her time to the academic excellence of those students, they would shine more brilliantly. But most of my wife's time is spent with the emotional, mental, and physical behavioral changes and reactions of children who are the victims of people who just fell out of love or don't want to live together anymore, found somebody else. 
said I wasn't going to get loud, but I... I'm telling you, some kids have to be on medication. Kids, to control their behavior. Because they were born into a situation that they never asked for. And, and some of what my wife deals with, and I will not exploit her school or the confidentiality of her situation, except to know that this is in every school. Kids, kids come to school not properly clothed, haven't even had breakfast. I said to my wife, I said, what time does a lunchroom crew get to your school in the morning? She said to me, 5.30. My wife gets to school about 6.30. I said, 5.30? What do you mean they get there at 5.30? Because many kids come without nourishment. They come sometimes improperly clothed. They don't know if I'm going home with auntie today, or am I riding the bus, or am I going to the daycare. You all listening to this preacher? I'm telling you, the family, because of... because I. I, I'm a counselor, I'm a pastor, I have done many marriages. I have, so, so please understand that I know what the Bible says about why there are certain grounds for which God allows divorce. I ain't messing with that here, okay? Because all some folks need is to say, well, the Bible allows it, I'll create the environment. I'm not mad. I'm, I'm just being honest. And I'm telling you. The children suffer lifelong scars of rejection, behavioral problems, insecurities, confusion due to the lack of parental role models. Not only is marriage under the attack of cohabitation without marriage and rampant divorce, but I never thought I'd see the day where the Bible would be reinterpreted by so-called scholars in order to pacify and approve the lifestyle of those who want to live like they want to and not obey the Word of God. And in America in the last 25 years in particular, but even before, they have come, there's come to the fore of American theology. So-called Bible scholars and church leaders who have given a different interpretation from what the Word of God says. I tell you that because I, I want you to know that the Bible addresses sexual immorality in many places. One of which is Romans chapter 1. And Romans 1 talks about people rejecting the truth, denying the creator and serving the creature, and living after their own passion and their own lust. Romans chapter 1 talks about women changing the natural desire that God placed in them at the right time for man. And men changing the natural desire that God put in them by, by, the, by the way of God's dealing with family and sexual union. And going after men, burning up in their lust, one with another, doing what is unnatural. And, and, and so that I don't have time to read the whole chapter, but I will reference chapter 1, verse 25. And you look at the screen and I'll tell you that the Bible says these kind of people have changed the truth of God into a lie. And worship and serve the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. This is what's happening uh, recently, not long ago, two supposedly Bible scholars, one at Boston University and the other at Stonehill College, released two new books 
Both writers claim to give an accurate representation of what the Bible says about God and sex, yet both writers reinterpret relevant scriptures to discredit the idea that the Bible supports sex only within the confines of heterosexual marriage. So-called Bible scholars, so-called Christians, have found creative ways to destroy the Bible's straightforward condemnation of homosexuality. I have read, seen it done, where people who want to put a stamp of approval on the lifestyle of homosexuality and expect then, therefore, that they could use the Bible to do it, have taken the Old Testament relationship of David and Jonathan. I preached about him two Sundays ago. A couple of Sundays ago, I spoke to you about a God who is a covenant-making God with the life of Abraham. Do you recall if you were here? And I told you that Jonathan and, and, and David were such close friends until they exchanged garments in a covenant of friendship. They exchanged their weapons in a covenant of friendship. Uh, and, and they went through a several covenantal uh, steps to bond their relationship. Only because, because Jonathan was the son of Saul, who was the king of Israel, whom God rejected for his disobedience. Can I get an amen? And in the natural bloodline of the monarchy, Saul would be king, and the next king down the line would be Jonathan. But because God rejected Saul for his disobedience, God rejected the whole household of Saul, including Jonathan. And Jonathan said, you know what? I still want God's favor. Since God selected David and God has chosen David to be the next man over this place, I will have a covenant with David so that my family and my lineage will be protected. And such was their covenant. But, but there are those who will take that relationship and make it homosexual in a reinterpretation, attacking marriage. Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3 and 13, please look at the screen. But evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. I'm just talking to you. I'm very mindful that the tone of my voice and my, my gestures need to be interpreted with the heart that I have for what I'm doing here this morning. And I need to tell you that churches in America... One branch of the Presbyterian Church, one branch of the Episcopal Church, one branch of the Methodist Church have approved openly gay homosexual people for the clergy, the highest rank of clergy in their denomination. You already know that. If you don't know that, then you haven't been living in America very long. In churches in America and some in metro Atlanta, so-called men of women of God solemnize marriage between same-sex couples, supposedly under the blessing of God. There are people in their church who are elders or deacons who are openly practicing homosexuality. That is a reinterpretation of the Bible. And that... God is a million miles away from. And I'm telling you that there's a lot of ways that a pastor or a local church can build a church. If you want to have a crowd, just open the door and let anything happen. Just do whatever. You know, all we, we just all we want is your money. All we want is you to help us pay the light bill and pay all this other stuff. You know? So, so just however you want to come, just come on.
But did you know that Jesus gave his blood for the church? Did you, did you know that Jesus is the rock of the church? Did you know in spite of all the ways that so-called theologians and schools and churches and denominations will change the Bible, Jesus said that his word will never pass away. Jesus said that upon this rock, meaning Jesus, he will build his church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against him. Would you thank God for the church? Now, now, let me, let me talk to you a little bit more. Hold on just a second, okay? Let, let me tell you this. I, I got contacts. The line's long at the restaurant, so just hang in here. It's, it's warm, okay? okay. I, I want you to understand. I, I want you to understand and appreciate. There are people who say, I don't ever want to be a part of church because the church is so and so and so. Listen, if you're born again, you are part of church. The word church is the Greek word ekklesia. The word church means the called out ones. If you're born again by the blood of Jesus Christ, you may not choose to be church of God, Baptist, Lutheran, Methodist, Episcopal, but you are the church. You don't, you don't, you don't get an excuse or a free pass. If you call Jesus your Savior, you are one who's been called out of darkness into His marvelous light. And you either stand with God or you stand against Him. Jesus said, if you are ashamed of me in this present age, I will not acknowledge you when you stand before the Father. And so, you and I do not get our marching orders from some so-called biblical scholar, some denomination who's changed his mind upon, upon what the Word of God says. You and I don't march by the drumbeat of the world and the flesh and the devil. We don't even get our marching orders from the Constitution of the United States. This is our marching order. Thus saith the Word of God. Heaven and earth will pass away, but God's Word shall never pass away. We will live by it. We will die by it. We'll be judged by it. And we'll have eternal life because of His Word. I never thought I'd see the day when the greatest enemy to the family would be the government, the government of the United States of America. Now you need to hear me out here because if you make presuppositions because of your prejudices and it's not in the word. And you have the spirit that is difficult to work with. Last year, February 23rd, 2011, the Attorney General of the United States, at the direction of President Obama, announced that the administration would no longer defend the Defense of Marriage Act when it is challenged in the U.S. courts. Defense of Marriage Act, D-O-M-A, DOMA. When the administration made that decision, that it would not defend the Defense of Marriage Act when it's challenged in court, the president turned his back on the ideal of traditional marriage in America. I never thought I'd see the day. For you to know, DOMA is a United States law. It was passed overwhelmingly by both houses of Congress and signed into law by President Bill Clinton in 1996. Listen now. Under this law, 
the Defense of Marriage Act. No state is required to recognize a same-sex marriage that was made legal in any other state. The law also explicitly defined marriage as a legal union between one man and one woman as husband and wife. Yet, the President of the United States, who at his inauguration swore to defend and protect the laws of this country, has, contrary to his oath of office, decided not to defend and enforce this particular law. Do you have that option to choose what law you want to obey and defend or not? Try it out. Go ahead and get arrested. Go ahead and break the speed limit. Let one of the guys arrest you and stand before the judge and say, you know what? This law is not pertinent to me. So I'm leaving here. You think I'm being facetious or cynical? I'm being truthful. There are ways to change laws, but this is a law of the land and there's an oath taken to defend the law. It is as the way the world treats the Ten Commandments, as if we have a multiple choice. Don't list all the Ten Commandments, just list about six of them. Who gave you that power, anyhow? Hear me now, and hear my spirit. Last Sunday, I spoke to you about Abraham being a friend of God. And I said to all of us last Sunday, if we desire this privileged status of being a friend of God... Then there are a number of things we have to do, one of which is that we have to make God's priorities our priorities. I don't know of a better thing for my life than for God to call me friend. And so, uh, so the Bible tells us that Abraham had a nephew whose name was Lot. I talked about him last Sunday. And I told you that Lot, even knowing the truth and what is right, decided when he parted ways with his uncle Abraham to pitch his tent toward the city of Sodom, which is one of the twin cities in the Old Testament, given the homosexuality over which God destroyed both cities. But God didn't just destroy him because he wanted to just wipe people out. He destroyed him by giving him a chance. He gave, he gave him such a chance until, until he told Abraham, who was his friend, if I find ten righteous city people in the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, if I find just ten, I'll let everybody live. And I, and I tell you that, I spoke about that last Sunday to tell you God's feelings. And I had no knowledge that while I was preaching last Sunday... The the vice president of the United States, President Biden, would go on public national television and give his absolute sanction to same-sex marriage. No, no. I only found that he did that when I came to Monday night men's prayer. And the men says, Pastor, we got to pray. The vice president. I had no knowledge when I spoke to you last Sunday about this very thing. That on Tuesday, the state of North Carolina will be giving the people of North Carolina an opportunity in a referendum to vote whether or not they want same-sex unions in the state of North Carolina. I only found that after Tuesday night when I found out that, praise God, 62% of the people of North Carolina said, no, it is not our values and we will not have it. Now, that's where you ought to clap. That's where you ought to give an emotion. Let me say this to you. Every state in America where this has been tested, where the people have been given a voice to vote whether or not they want same-sex union, every state that the people have been given a voice, they have voted it down by a majority. The only place that same-sex marriages occur in America, go do your history lesson, the only place in eight states where it occurs is when the legislature of those states and the federal courts of those states, without giving the citizens the right, impose the decision on the people. I never thought I'd see the day. And then on Wednesday, the President of the United States 
President Obama. In an interview with ABC's Robin Roberts on Good Morning America on national television to which other networks interrupted their regular programming. The president, without reluctance or hesitation, affirmed in just a few words, same-sex marriage. I never thought I'd see the day. Now listen, hear me. You're not here by chance. You thought maybe you wouldn't have nothing to talk about it, didn't you? The whole world's talking about it. There's a time, silence may be golden, but this ain't the time. I pray against cowardly pastors and cowardly church leaders and cowardly Christians. The president said, for some time he has been evolving into this decision. Brothers and sisters, ladies and gentlemen, you and I don't have the prerogative to evolve on what God decided long before you were given breath and live. We are not given the prerogative to say, well, I think it's for me or I don't think it's for me. If you are a blood-bought, born-again, Bible-believing, heaven-bound believer, you, you, you either take it and get blessed and honor God, or you say, God, I'm going to do my own thing. Why do you think God gives us these guidelines? For our protection. Mothers know that You've had to do some things for your children and to correct them and rebuke them and instruct them. My mother says, when I was growing up, I told you not to hang with the crowd. Because I love you and they'll lead you the wrong way. I told you not to go there. I told you not to do that. Don't touch this. Don't do that, etc. And not because my mother wanted to take pleasure in beating me because she had a desire to see me suffer. But my mother created all these boundaries for me. And my father created because they love me and they've been down the road I'm going. And they know if I keep going down that road, it'll be a path that will destroy me. I, I, I was walking Lakeland down the road here, the road here that connects last to the road on Friday evening. Just seeing I had a little papa and grandson. He's two. And this he didn't learn from me. This he learned someplace else. We walking around the edge of the grass and there's an ant bed. You know where I'm going? The boy puts his sandals. He wasn't wearing shoes with socks. He was wearing sandals. And whoosh, the ants from all over Asia, China, Africa. Okay. I said, Lakeland, son. Don't do that. Don't do that. Those ants are fire ants. And they'll climb up your your leg and they'll climb and they'll bite you and they'll make you cry, son. He did it again. (laughs) Can I be a confession? Can I give you a little confession? I used to go around poking wasp nests until five of them bit me at one time. Stricken with stupid, I guess. There's something about men that we want to aggravate something, mess up something. And as an adult, I kind of want to go around ant hills and poke them because I can run faster than they can, but not no two year old boy. And I said, Lakeland, son, if you do that again, I'm going to take you to your mom and daddy. Well, couldn't you have corrected him yourself? Yeah, I could, but I don't want him to have a bad taste about me. I want his mom and dad to. And if they don't correct him, I'll, I'll correct them. What is the analogy, Pastor? The analogy is that President Obama 
has dropped a nuclear bomb, a blast on families in America. You say, Pastor, I, I think that you're singling out the president and the vice president for special condemnation. No, I'll tell you why I'm singling them out. Two reasons. Two reasons. Number one, of their high visibility and their high stature. Look at me, listen to me. There's not another man in the world more powerful in the world than President Obama. And if for some reason Mr. Biden had to take his place, he'd be the second most powerful man in the world. Right now, he is a second. And you know what the world does? They look at the high visibility people. And, and, and many in the world say, if they think it's all right for their marriage, their family. The president said he had a talk with his wife and he had a talk with his daughters. And because it works in a practical way for their friends, they're all right. There's a second reason why I cite President Obama and Mr. Biden. is because both of them have Christian teaching and doctrine in their life. I didn't say it, they said it. Mr. Biden is an avowed Catholic. If you know anything about the Catholic Church, if there's one thing the Catholic Church stands for, is the preservation of the family and the sanctity of marriage. Mr. Obama says that he's a Methodist. Out of the same mouth, he, he said he used the word Jesus. And Mr. Obama said that Jesus said we ought to treat everybody like we want to be treated. You're right, he said it. But Mr. Obama, sir, whether you're Obama, whether you're Queen of England, whether you're somebody else, when you use this book, be sure you come in context. Don't be like all the other politicians who use it when they want to get some votes. Jesus said, treat others as you want them to be treated, but he never gave us a license to sin. Matter of fact, here's what the Word of God says about hanging with people who call themselves Christians and are living inconsistent to the Word of God. Paul says in his writings, because he was writing to a church where a man was living with his father's wife in sexual relationships. And Paul says, in the world that may be going on, but in the church, you have a responsibility to shun it and correct it. Paul says, anybody call themselves Christians, I write to you, do not keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral, covetous, or an adulterer, or a reveler, or a drunkard, or an extortioner. Don't even eat with such a person. I'm talking to you. Listen to me. Do you know what you endorse, you become a part of? Do you know when you give your tithe and offerings to this ministry, this church, you become a part of the anointing on this ministry and the power and the covering of this ministry? Do you know it's a good thing for you to, to present your gifts and offerings to the Lord and to His because, because you come under that anointing, covering, protection and glory? But do you know the reverse is also true? Where you put your money, who you speak and who you hang with, what you say becomes a part of you, good or evil. I'm not asking you this morning. I'm not even suggesting to you. This is not a political sermon. I, I, I think I'm safe in talking to people who have already made their choice about who's going to lead their life. This is not a Democrat, Republican, African American, white or Indian. Okay? This is about Christians waking up and understanding that the gauntlet has already been dropped. That, that, that you, need, you and I need to understand, we, don't, we can't evolve 
going to be like Joshua. That's for me and my house. We're going to serve the Lord. You see, if you were to die today, stand before God. And you're not born again. And you ask God for entrance into heaven. God says, why should I let you into heaven? And then your response is, I was going to the side one day. I was on my way. Matter of fact, I've been to church with my mother on Mother's Day. I, I, I was making up my mind, trying to get some things in order. I, one day I was going. I, I was evolving. I was thinking about it. I was planning. Not raped anybody. Not, not been a bank robber. Not been a liar or a cheat. Alcoholic. Wife abuser. Sexually. And all so I, I'm okay. The, the, the Lord says your good intentions is not reason enough for your entrance. It's not about what you're going to do one day for Jesus and who you're going to is today. Today is a day of salvation. Bow, please. Bow, everyone in the, in the house. Would you bow, Reverend? And those of you that know that God moves in glorious ways, would you offer a prayer and help me? Thank you, Jesus. Would that be you, sir, ma'am, teenager? You're here with your mom or your grandma? You didn't come for any kind of major decision in your life. You're just going to do something that's nice. But the Lord has arrested you. And he said to you, this is the moment of decision. And I want you to know how great my love is for you. The Lord says, old things are passed away if you're willing to be. I'm willing to erase your past, erase what you've done, forgive you of all that, and give you a brand new start because I love you. And because I love you, I want to protect you and I want to give you eternal life and I want to bless your future. I want to bless your marriage. I want to bless your children. I want to bless your health. I want to bless your finances. I I want you to become my friend. But I will not violate my word in order for you to become my friend. Jesus didn't die on the cross and shed his blood to give us deliverance from sin for us to go right back into that sin. Jesus will not be mocked. And so I'm asking you, if you know that you would miss heaven today because of how you're living and what you're doing, with your head bowed and eyes closed, say, Pastor, I do not want to take the risk. When you close in prayer, pray for me. I won't embarrass you, but I'll call you to this moment of decision right where you are, and I will not... Make you a spectacle, but just privately where you are, but no one else looking. I need Jesus as my Savior, and I'm not going to dress it up. He knows, I know, and I'm going to be honest. Raise your hands if that's you. Hold it up high if that's you. Yes, thank you very much. Hold it up a moment. That's a number. So thank you for doing it for... You may put it down. Thank you, Jesus. Put it down. Thank you very much. Catch bowed and eyes closed. Pastor Matura, I have to make some changes. It may be that you are in a cohabitation context. You've got to make a change today. It may be that you are in a same-sex relationship. You have to make a change today if you're going to follow Jesus. It may, it, it may be that you have endorsed and done some things that, that give approval to, that you've got to try to undo. And you're saying, I understand the Word of God, and I want to be a friend of God, and I, do, I did not realize, Pastor, I was in violation. And God's been good enough to show me. 
And because of what he's shown me, I have family situations I have to deal with. I may not be practicing any of this right now, but I've nodded at some things. I've turned my head the other way, and now I have to ask God to help me to, to do what is right. And, Pastor, I need you to pray for me. I won't single you out, but I'll ask you to raise your hand if that's you. Hold it up all over the house. Thank you. Thank you. You may put them down. Stand, please, everybody. Stand, please, everybody. I'm, I'm, I'm finishing just a couple of moments, okay? No. I just want to pray over you. Everybody, everybody just, because you, oh, hallelujah to Jesus. Everybody here this morning, everybody. If you're breathing, you are part of the solution or you're part of the problem. Choose the Lord. I'm going to close with this prayer. I'm going to ask you. If it's not you you need to pray for, pray for somebody else. If it's somebody in your family, somebody in your, in your, down your family tree, some, something. If you know that people, some people have reinterpreted the Bible, found another church that doesn't even speak about it because they want to be comfortable. If you, if you know people, people who are cohabitating or, or who are just uh, looking to get out of a marriage or divorce because they, it's inconvenient. And you want to pray, God, protect family. Everybody should pray for the protection of the family. Lift your hands to the Lord as a child of God and call out to Him. Go ahead. I don't have to tell you how to pray. Raise your voice a little bit higher than, than a whisper. Come on. And I want you in the name of Jesus to take authority. Take authority. If you need, if you need salvation, I want you, to, I want you to ask the Lord to forgive you of your sins. And I want you to ask Him to come in your heart. Come on. Everybody pray. You're either part of the solution or you're part of the problem. Silence. Silence is approval. Silence is approval. You cannot afford to be silent. My Father, in Jesus' name, many hands went up, O oh God. Come on, pray. And I just ask you this morning, O oh God, here in noontime now, to wash away all of our sin by the blood of Jesus. For every hand that went up in this service and the former service, come on. I pray that the blood of Jesus Christ would cleanse, purify, take away any unnatural craving. Take away any perverts, perversion, oh God. Take away any wrong desires, oh God. God, let the old things be passed away. Let the old man or woman of sin die. And let there be a new life in Christ. Let the Holy Spirit, come on, come on. Ask the Holy Spirit to move into your life. I move out the devil. I move out sin. I move out the culture. I move out friends and others who are letting me wrong. And I ask the blood of Jesus come into my life and cleanse me. Come on, say it. God, I pray over my wife. Those of you that pray over your husband. I pray over our children. I pray over our grandchildren. I pray over our son-in-law, our daughter-in-law. I pray over the church. I pray over America. I pray over our government. I pray our government will repent. I pray our federal judges will repent. I pray our governors will repent. I pray our judges will repent. I pray the church will repent. Today, change America. It's not too late for revival. I give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Come on, give the Lord a hand clap. Come on, give the Lord. Come on, if you believe God, here's prayer. Help me praise it. Not because He loves you. Sing with Him. Sing about His love.